Ryan Cornier, welcome to the Thick Bootcamp Podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, we're, we are excited to have you, Ryan. It's been a long time coming, right? We we I think we invited you onto the podcast the first time, maybe as long as two years ago, and uh, we finally were able to connect with you, and you've made so much um, uh, progress on your healing journey that uh, you now feel uh, comfortable with um, vulnerably sharing your journey with folks in the community with the hopes of helping them get better. Yeah, absolutely. It's I've been following you guys for a couple of years now and uh, social media and, you know, a lot of online support groups have helped me gain a lot of knowledge and gain a lot of support uh, with such a with such an unknown and 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 something that people don't uh, think about or talk about much and no one really seems to understand what's going on with it. And so uh, our little circles online have, have definitely definitely got me through some hard times. So why don't you first introduce yourself to folks uh, on our podcast and, and and let folks know where you grew up and, and how you uh, lived a childhood that included scouting and uh, a lot of contact with ticks and tick bites. Yeah, so I'm originally from a small town in Minnesota. Um, well, I first lived in Brainerd, Minnesota until I was about fourth grade. And uh, if you're if you're familiar with Minnesota at all, um, it is one of the top states that's Lyme endemic. And so, ironically enough, Brainerd, the county in Brainerd, uh, is actually the number one county for incidents of Lyme uh, bacteria that they've found. So, you know, I started out and I grew up on kind of a hobby farm. And so we had chickens and ducks, we had deer. I was outside all the time. I was playing in the dirt and loved being outdoors, played with bugs. You know, I was just a kid that just loved the outdoors. And, uh, you know, from, from there, my, my family actually moved us up to a uh, small town, Northwest Minnesota, uh, between Detroit lakes, Minnesota and Fargo, North Dakota called Holly, Minnesota. And that, uh, you know, it, it, in there, it was one of the things you did was boy scouts and you did all the 4-H and you did the things that, you know, in a big school, you might not take part as part of as much. And, and when you're in a small town and you're in Minnesota, the the outdoors and, and hiking and nature and hunting and uh, being at the lakes is just what we did. So uh, there was no there was no different, you know, second thoughts about being outside. It was we were we were out there all the time. So I can tell you, Ryan, I'm, I'm really happy to have a, uh, you know, a native of Minnesota on the podcast because the New York Giants had not made the playoffs for many years. We did make the playoffs last year and we won a playoff game uh, against the Vikings. <laughs> so thank you for, uh, uh, for your contribution to the happiness of New York Giant fans. Oh, well, you know, whatever we can do. But uh, those Vikings, they they try and <laughs> they try. So um, one of the things that we often wonder about uh, with folks who have grown up in a tick endemic community, like Matt and I have um, here on Long Island, is uh, whether or not um, tick and Lyme disease education was a part of your uh, your education, either in school through 4-H um, or through any other social um, education that you received. I would say little to none. And that's what's frustrating because you know, being a being a Boy Scouts, going through the ranks and becoming an Eagle Scout, you learn about how to be prepared and wilderness survival. You know, you you learn about uh, the different animals and creatures that could be harmful. Those you know survival skills, and they of course you know people say that the 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 Minnesota bird is the mosquito, and uh, 
And so we always worried more about mosquito bites and potentially West Nile virus than anybody ever did about Lyme disease. And it's something we never even heard about. Um, and I still don't quite really hear about it, even though I worked for the Boy Scouts of America for almost three and a half years uh, as a professional scouter. And so I had no idea that it was even a big deal. You know, you'd pick ticks off of you like they were just, you know, mosquitoes in general. And you just pick them up and throw them off you. It's, you know, it wasn't, people didn't really think about it or have any issues with it, which is just strange to me because I was out with a lot of people that were in the outdoors and that hunted. And, you know, you hear about your well, animals getting sick and your dogs and we have preventative measures for that. But, um, you know, this didn't really seem to be an issue um, and had not really thought about it much. So give us a little insight into you know, you you did say that you were picking ticks off yourself all the time. Give us give us give us a little more detail on that. Was it when you were when you were um, when you were a hobbyist farmer? Were, was it when you were out hunting or hiking? Was it with scouts? Or was it all of the above? It was all of the above. Um, you know, I remember times going scouting scouting the woods with my dad, and you know, looking for spots to put our deer stand up in the you know in the late fall uh, around about around this this time of year. And you sometimes would walk out with dozens of ticks on you and you'd find them later on crawling on you. And, uh, you know, they creeped you out and they annoyed you, but you didn't think they were even harmful. I mean, I didn't, I didn't really, they didn't bother me. They just kind of made me, you know, gave you the, the heebie jeebies. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so we didn't, you know, and people used to say, Oh, just burn it off and things like that. And so the the amount of education we had on it was slim to none. And I just, I can't even believe it because it's like, if you realized that you're walking around in the woods with potential uh, weapons that could, could kill you or make you severely sick, you would look at the woods a little differently. Yeah. And of course you would, you would also take precautions to protect exactly, yourself, exactly. right? And, and, mm -hmm. and I'm assuming based on, based on your experience with having all the ticks crawling on you that you weren't using any, uh, insecticides you weren't using any permethrin on your clothing you you just weren't doing anything that would that would um make make it so the ticks would not be attracted to you yeah i didn't even know what permethrin was until i got when i started becoming sick and so i realized that you know if you're going to be out you know, wear the long socks put permethrin on your on your clothes um and 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 gear up because uh, you just never know so yeah. So, Ryan, I understand that you've also uh, been um, active in the biohacking world. You were always a very healthy young man. Uh, so talk to us about your relationship with uh, with health and fitness leading up to the time you had gotten sick. Yeah, um, fitness has always been really important to me. I've always uh, been kind of a gym rat. And so I wasn't in a lot of sports when I was in high school. I was in golf and I was in tennis and then I did Boy Scouts. And so I didn't get that. I didn't really get that uh, that physical nature of the sports and the ath ath athletics that a lot of my peers did. And so I wanted to, you know, I wanted to work on myself, personal development and, you know, shape the way I, my body presented itself. And so I started working out when I was 16 and I'm 34 now and I haven't stopped since. And so everybody has kind of always known that I've been in a pretty good shape and, you know, I don't take it too extreme by any means, but uh, you know, we, we certainly, um, it's certainly been an integral part of my life. And then obviously, 
learning a lot about um, what the body needs to function properly. Um, and because we're, we're, we're so taxed every day on life's demands with how much is being thrown at us and we're not living how we did thousands of years ago um, with, with, with in relation to resting in relation to, you know, once the hunt is done from, from uh, finding food for your village, you're done with the day, you go home and then you, you sit around the campfire and tell stories. We're, we're constantly plugged in. Our nervous systems are constantly on, on, on go. We're always wired in and plugged in. And so, I felt just stressed out internally a lot and exercise and, you know, supplementation, eating right, uh, good social time was just what I needed to, to allow me to, to kind of feel good. And so it's always been something that I, uh, took care of. And so I was always, uh, no one would ever think like, Oh, Ryan, he'll get sick and be, he'll be one of the ones that gets sick first among the, the people that graduated with you. And so, I was very unlikely. Uh, I was a very unlikely candidate to to get sick with this. I'm not very sedentary. Um, I like to think I take care of myself, and so when I did get sick, this was the last thing on my mind that it could be from. All right. So, so you you were living a healthy lifestyle. You were you were outside a lot. Um, you had uh, you had strong social ties. You were um, you were um, athletic, but you were not engaging in. Uh, sporting events that were overly rigorous that would uh, would be immunosuppressive. You were uh, you were doing other types of uh, fitness work, including weight training, and you were you were conscious of your diet and just a generally healthy person moving into college. So, talk to us about um, uh, where you went to college and what your goals were when you went to college. Yeah, I went to school at, well, I went, I did one year at NDSU, North Dakota State University, go Bison, uh, national champions up there. Uh, it's, it's a very big deal in Fargo. If you ever make it up that way, it's a lot of pride around the Bison. So I went there for a year, but uh, decided for the, for the, for what I wanted to study. Uh, they had a better program over at, over across the river in Minnesota at Minnesota State University of Moorhead. And then, so now I get to say go Dragons. That's which right. most people are like, who's the dragons? <laughs> so they're not necessarily known as much for their uh, athletics, but uh, wonderful uh, communications programs and uh, nursing and things like that. And so I, I studied there for four years um, and I got my degree in mass communications, PR. And I was, you know, I did, I, everything was great, healthy, uh, had a lot of great social circle and, you know, life was going, going fine. Um, and so that was that, you know, school, everything like that, nothing, no challenges with it, no issues. And, you know, even, and you think too, like school, that's a stressful time. I mean, but you know, it's, you're young and it just, it doesn't seem like, uh, you know, maybe it just wasn't my time to, to, to get hit with it yet. So, well, so let's talk about that. So, mm -hmm. so you, uh, you have a relatively healthy childhood. You, uh, you're a healthy young adult, um, and then you're not healthy anymore, right? You start to get sick. So talk to us about when your health began to take a uh, a turn. Yeah. So I, when I graduated from college, I I was very ambitious about my career, and I wanted to really strive and do well. Um, you know, get get a good start. Being young, it's tough starting out when you're just you know 23 out of college, and you're looking for a good 
you know, career and to get, make good money. And so I, I started working for the Boy Scouts of America. Uh, naturally, you know, what a perfect fit because of my scouting background. And so I was recruiting youth into scouts, fundraising for the Boy Scouts of America and helping run programs, doing marketing. And, uh, you know, did that for about three and a half years in the Fargo, Fargo uh, metro area. And it was a very busy job, nights, weekends. I was still even going out to camp campsites and camping out with the volunteers. And so I was still out in the woods and, and doing those things. And even then, you know, wasn't even on my radar. Working for the Boy Scouts, being in the environment where you would likely have, you know, this happen where you would have these incidents. And still, it wasn't something that we heard about, that we thought about, or even talked about. So... It's, you know, I was, it's just, it caught me by such a surprise. Um, and then I, you know, I continued from there. I started getting to some sales jobs uh, into the advertising field, media relations, uh, marketing. I was a, a marketing specialist at Sanford Health, which is the largest healthcare organization in the upper Midwest. Um, and so I, I, I did that for almost a year and, um, you know, still in the health field, you know, in general. And, uh, but uh, from there, I kept progressing my career and kept, you know, kind of burning myself out and really jumping around to different, a few different sales roles and not knowing exactly what I wanted to do. And, you know, kind of felt limited in that sense with career. And so I was getting to be late 20s and not, you know, still not really feeling set in what I was doing. Um, and then, you know, I met a lovely lady who uh, I ended up getting married to in Minnesota She's Congratulations. From, she, thank you. She's from Missouri originally. And we met uh, through some networking opportunities and young professional opportunities in uh, Fargo-Moorhead. She was a, a AmeriCorps VISTA member with Habitat for Humanity. And so we met that way and hit it off. Um, and then we got married. And at that time, I was actually transitioning to a digital marketing role with a telecommunications company um and so my wife and i decided you know what? we've been in fargo for a long time we'd like to try out another city go somewhere bigger you know see the sites and and uh get away from get away from for me my hometown area and uh see what's next and so it was a lot of stress i got married um you know i was changing jobs i'd moved to a place a big city i'd never lived in a big city before you know, Fargo's metro is about 250,000 people versus Minneapolis, which is approximately around three and a half million people in the metro area. And you so sure. it was exciting, very exciting. But with excitement comes nervousness and it comes uncertainty um, and change. And uh, it was a challenging, challenging time doing all of that all at once and uh, still trying to kind of keep the pace of life that I was going at. And uh, I was getting burned out. And so, um, you know, I started working at my new job in the cities and it was going fairly well. But I started to notice a few um, a few things that were are happening to me physiologically. And, um, you know, I wasn't sure if it was just I, I chalked it up to kind of just the move and stress and like, oh, this it's normal. You know, it's you're just a little anxious about everything. Um, but it just didn't it wasn't getting better and it started getting worse and worse. So give me give me some more specifics on that, Ryan. What what were the specific symptoms that you were feeling, uh, and and what were the first symptoms, and how were they getting uh, worse? Yeah, well, at the time I was, 
you know, when you move to a new city, you kind of have all this time and free, more freedom to yourself because you don't have this social circle that you once had kind of pulling your attention. So I really got back to uh, working out and I was, I had a couple friends that lived there and we just, we'd, we'd go to the gym a lot and I was pushing really hard. I was like, I'm going to get in the best shape I've ever been. My career, I'm going to have that take off. And so I was really looking forward to just, uh, just starting this great new life. And I think I just pushed myself too hard and wasn't resting enough and was, you know, going, going, going. And um, it started out fairly subtle with uh, neck stiffness. And so my neck became really stiff and sore. And I just thought, well, maybe I'm looking at the computer screen too much. And maybe I just need to go to a chiropractor. And then I started having tingling along the side of my head. And then I went to a chiropractor to see if they could kind of adjust it and, and, and see what was going on. But it, it didn't feel normal. It didn't feel normal. And then I started getting dizzy spells. Uh, I started feeling like I, I was on uneven ground when I walked. And so uh, it, it just it kind of like I had vertigo and I'd never experienced it to that degree before. And then heart palpitations started to set in. And so I'm like, well, am I having too much caffeine? And I'm getting and then I get stressed out about the symptoms I'm having because this is a little bit more than usual for me for my usual stress levels and kind of how I normally feel. And so I started to go into regular doctor, primary care, and, uh, you know, getting all the routine scans and checkups done. Um, my character, my character said it was probably a occipital neuralgia, which is just a, a very benign thing that you can, you know, work out with stress, stress relief and, and massage therapy and things like that. But it just wasn't getting better. And I had all these doctors telling me, well, it's just stress, anxiety. Um, and then, also at the time, uh, coinciding with that, I was getting really involved with the local chamber of commerce. And so during that time, I remember, uh, you know, helping out with the young, helping set up their young professionals committee out there in the Minneapolis area. And it was, it was really cool. And uh, I was networking a lot. I was making, you know, sales calls and I was just trying to go above and beyond just to, you know, make a good impact on my new job. And, uh, and it just all caught up to me. I actually won an award as young professional of the year with that, with that chamber and literally. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Thank you. And literally um, right after that, it's like my body said, Oh, you're done. And I started getting really a lot of brain fog, muscle weakness, uh, muscle twitching, depression, anxiety, panic attacks. Um, you know, I've been in sales for many years, worked in sales and I've talked to hundreds and hundreds of people and, in, in uh, sales calls and meetings. And I'd never experienced sheer, uh, the ability, almost the ability to not even find my words, the ability to sit down and talk with somebody for over a cup of coffee uh, and, without getting just absurd levels of panic and uh, feeling like I'm going to faint. And, you know, I just, I didn't know what was going on. And so it was very scary. Uh, I started getting very depressed about it, you know, cause I couldn't be myself anymore. I couldn't work out like I used to. Uh, I was having trouble at work trying to focus and it really just started progressing, uh, you know, pretty quick after that. So it was, yeah, so it was pretty rough, rough road. <laughs> you know, Ryan, we, 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 we often describe chronic illness as a flywheel where, you know, you, it starts to turn and starts to turn and starts to turn. And, and, and part of that process, of course, is um is how your nervous system is presenting right because we know your nervous system can be in the sympathetic 
presentation of your nervous system or the parasympathetic parasympathetic presentation, right? And and of course we bounce back and forth, but you know we generally spend more time in one presentation or another. And I could just from the way you were describing this uh, from a neurological and an emotional standpoint, um, you were you were clearly spending more time in fight or flight or more. Um, in the sympathetic presentation. And as you were getting sicker, um, you were spending more time there. And as you were getting getting uh, uh, less than helpful uh, help diagnostically from your from your doctors, it was getting worse. And, and the flywheel was getting worse and it was getting worse. And it just started to take off to the point where some argue your body would say no. Uh, but I, I really think the, the, the presentation really, was really more is your brain saying no. Um, mm. And you crashed. Yeah. And then COVID hit too. And so there was such, it was such a storm. I mean, I remember it was, it was crazy because I remember doing a neurological exam over a zoom call <laughs> and the guy had me walk to my closet, touch my nose, had me stand on one leg and it was, yeah, you know, it could, and I brought up the, uh, I brought up Lyme because a friend of mine actually had Lyme, chronic Lyme disease as well. And he started out getting told it was depression and put on the medicine, medic, medicine merry-go-round, you know, about a, a guy who was a firefighter. And so we're not talking, you know, we're talking people who are very naturally resilient, having, you know, having the strength of uh, an elderly person. <laughs> and so it made no sense. And I would tell this to, to doctors and I like to think I'm a pretty logical person, pretty well-researched, obviously. And they seem to not really they just kind of shrugged it off and go, it's in your head. Uh, you know, you're just, you're, you're obsessing over your own health and, you know, you start up a, a medication and you think that you're having side effects and then you don't want to try it long enough to where it's effective. And you want to be on a different medication because you're researching that medication. Now, now mind you, this is before I had Lyme on the radar. And that was what was so frustrating is that, you know, um, psychiatry is saying to you, Hey, uh, you know, give this a try. It takes people generally four to six weeks. You'll start feeling better. Take this uh, benzodiazepine to relieve your anxiety in the temporary while the medicine starts to, to kick in. Well, what little did I know is that the medicine would never kick in fully because there was an underlying root issue going on inside my body that wasn't getting addressed. And therefore, it, it was honestly, it felt like malpractice at the time. You yeah. know, here, keep throwing these, you know, very powerful psychological medications at you. And, uh, you know, something will work. You just have to give it time. And, you know, you like to think you believe and trust this professional. And so, yeah, it was it was very stressful in itself, yeah, just the treatment in itself. And, you know, I, I think it's also frustrating. I, I Again, I, I'll let Matt, uh, when, he, when he starts speaking with you, talk a little bit. But, you know, one of the people we, we admire is Dr. Leo Shea, who's one of the earliest Lyme psychologist um, and former president of islands. And, and one of the things that he shared with us is that every single time someone has a psychological or psychiatric presentation, there's a physiological basis for that presentation. And that he argued that every single mental health professional should be looking for that physiological um, presentation. And it sounds to me that that's what you were looking for, but rather than having people looking for what that physiological um, um, cause for your emotional and mental health challenges, they were just diagnosing you with having mental health challenges. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's funny. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'll admit it, even I, I was seeing a therapist to 
try and work on my anxiety issues and things like that, you know, obviously the two go great hand in hand medication and therapy. And the doctor was awesome. Loved the guy. Um, he was, he was, you know, he tried so hard and, and I would tell him what, you know, what my symptoms were and how like I would have, you know, issues just getting up the stairs and going, I couldn't even ride the bike with my, you know, around the block with my wife until I got so fatigued that I'd be just exhausted to the point where I needed to go lay down for hours and even he was like, you know, that sounds, that doesn't sound like it's just in your head. And he was even like, I, I think, you know, that, that seems like a physiological issue. And so he was very supportive and he was one of the few in that, in that medical practice field that he didn't gaslight me. He believed me. He just, you know, he just listened. And so that was really nice to finally have somebody that could, uh, you know, you could kind of bounce things off of and, have someone who's in a good sound state of mind who sees people every single day, day in and day out to tell you that, you know, this, this might not be all just in your head. Then Brian, you did, you did tease a moment ago that uh, you had some sense that you may have had Lyme disease because you had a friend who was suffering from chronic Lyme and was suggesting to you that might be something that you should consider. And, you know, we, we've interviewed many people on this podcast who have argued that, Lyme disease is the supermarket diagnosis disease <laughs> because more people get diagnosed by by friends and family in social settings or in the supermarket rather than by uh, by medical professionals. So I want to first focus on that piece of it. Um, talk to us about what your friend said to you, uh, meaning what do you think he saw in you that caused him to believe you might be uh, suffering from Lyme disease? What did that trigger you to do? And how did your doctors respond to you raising the specter of Lyme disease uh, when you had this revelation from your conversations with your friend? Yeah, honestly, I got to give that guy thanks because if it weren't for him, I don't know how much longer I would have kept going with not with not uh, considering this as an option because he he and I just met on some online Facebook forums through some support groups and things like that which I found extremely valuable during my, during my, my challenges, because you, you, you think it's just you. And then you go online and you find people that have common uh, issues that you're having and they have knowledge that you don't have, you have knowledge that they don't have. And some of it's good. Some of it's not, you know, but when you start to piece these all together, you see patterns, you start to see patterns of what's happening and this guy and I would talk, check on each other every now and then, just kind of like mental health buddies. Um, and he finally told me that uh, he went and got tested. Someone someone mentioned to him to check for Lyme disease. And sure enough, he he was positive with it. And he actually did a, he did the, the disulfiram combo and it knocked it out really fast. And he, he fortunately, it didn't get to a point for him where it didn't get too severe, but it was getting, it was, it was progressing to that. And then he went back to his, his firefighting school and work like that. So, uh, you know, when he told me that I was like, you know, it's, I haven't, I don't remember having a tick bite in years. And it was at the time it was like November and I'm like, so we're past the season. I haven't had a tick bite lately. I'm, I'm thinking in my head, there's no way it could be that, but to entertain it, I started to look into what, what it all entails. And then I started you know, learning about chronic Lyme disease and how persistent it can be and how it can, you know, infect you earlier in life, go dormant, and then present itself later during a stressful event when your immune system crashes. 
And so thanks to that guy, I took it upon myself to do my own research and not just kind of go along with the system and keep going on that path and spiraling down further and further and further. So Ryan, there's another thing I want to highlight with you, which is um, the thought process that you had when your friend raised the specter of Lyme disease and your belief that it was unlikely Lyme disease because you hadn't suffered a recent tick bite, right? And of course, what, we, what we've learned through this podcast, um, especially when we've interviewed experts like Dr. Rawls and Dr. Horowitz and, and, and others, that very rarely does someone go from tick bite to chronic illness. In fact, it's less substantially less than 20% of the times when people mm -hmm. become chronically ill, it's in close proximity to a tick bite. Right. Um, but most people believe there would have to be some close proximity to a bite and, and, and an illness. And what we've learned is that unless someone is living, for example, in a high mold environment, or they're bitten by many ticks at the same time, where there's you know where there's uh, you know several tick bites at the same time. Uh, we do not see people going from bite to chronic illness. It's actually the situation that you found yourself in, which was was that you had many tick bites, um, but there was a long period of time between tick bites and illness uh, because uh, it was actually you going through you know these life changes that became immunosuppressive and your body had been managing the 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 microbes um until they could yeah yeah exactly yeah and it's it's you know in in the moment you think of it as this is you know obviously the worst thing you, you could ever have happen when you're feeling it but now looking back and I, i'm sure you i'm sure other other, uh, you know, those of you interviewed have said this as well, that it changed their life for the better um, coming out the other side, because you realized, you know, you, you, your body's trying, your body keeps a score. It's trying to tell you something. And when you're, when you ignore it, when you go, you know what, it's just, uh, I'm, I just got to push harder. I'm not pushing hard enough because we're taught in this, in this, in this society that we need to keep going, 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 we need to do better and strive for more and be a better version of ourselves, which is great. However, it can, you can take it too far. And I think we have to teach ourselves to rest too. And that's what it taught me. Um, because rest is, rest is part of the strategy. It's just as important, if not more important than the hustle. And the, and that's what gives you the energy to do the hustle. And so I didn't, I wouldn't let myself rest enough. And that's, that's, I think what really caused it to manifest. And it's amazing because not only did I find just Borrelia burgdorferi, the main Lyme bacteria that, that we think of and that we know of, there were several other strains of Lyme bacteria that, that some of my testing showed that aren't even found here. They're found in Europe or Asia. And so to me, that was just bewildering because I've never been out of the country even. So, um, yeah. so it didn't make any sense. So Ryan, let's, let's get there. Um, mm -hmm. When were you diagnosed and how were you diagnosed? So, so COVID hit and then, uh, you know, things just kind of, I ended up, my wife and I ended up moving back to Fargo, Moorhead, moved back to Moorhead, Minnesota, got a house. And I was, I was in the thick of the illness at this time. And, uh, we were probably about eight months into my, my, uh, symptoms really getting to a pretty severe point. And, um, you know, but I was doing my best to function day to day and just uh, get by every day, just trying to make it through and doing my best. Um, and so I, 
I would have, it was about 2020, if I think about that right. Yeah. So after the COVID, after COVID uh, lockdown started, it was kind of March 2020, I believe. And so we moved to Maury, Minnesota to be back closer to my family, uh, closer, you know, more support, support system, less stimulating environment. You know, being in a big city is quite, it's quite fast paced and it's exciting, but it's also um, a lot of takes a lot of energy out of you. And so I I just needed to kind of just get myself to rest and relax and get back to a more familiar environment for a while. And so doing that, um, then I was able to start talking to and branching out to more functional practitioners. And so I saw a naturopathic doctor in Moorhead. And first, we didn't test for Lyme disease, we just tested for heavy metals and uh, other routine things that they would test for, you know, getting your diet on track, your gut health, things like that, which is all great. Um, and so I started trying some of those things, but it really wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't doing it. It wasn't getting me better faster. And so, and we actually did find I had my aluminum levels were high and prior up to that point, I'd always been using regular deodorant, anti, anti-perspirant. And so, uh, my, my practitioner told me, Hey, start using natural deodorant you know, go on, cut out those things. We're going to do a little bit of a, um, you know, chelation to get rid of those metals on your body. And sure enough, those metals did go down over time. Um, and so that did help just some of those other little things like that. Uh, and so that's when I first got diagnosed. Um, I went and took an hygienics test because I was still having symptoms. I was suspicious. Um, and it actually, my tests weren't great at first. I only had two bands present out of the five. But the alternative Lyme criteria that Igenics uses uh, counts that as a positive test. And so when when the doctor told me you are positive for Lyme disease, I just couldn't believe it. It was validating. It was reassuring. It was a relief, but it was also terrifying after knowing what I started to learn about how to get better from Lyme disease. <laughs> so. So on one hand, it was, it's, it's, you know, knowing the answers is, is such a, you know, knowing the truth, knowing what's real and what, what's actually happening to you is worth its weight in gold. And then you can put together a plan to how you move forward. And so that's why I was, I was so relieved, but also started, you know, I was terrified at the same time because you go online, it's just, it's, it's crazy <laughs> of what you learn. So. Right. If you Google chronic Lyme, it is a scary thing to read up on those forums, especially if you're sick. Right. And oftentimes we go to these private labs like Igenix or Armin Labs or DNA Connections or MDL Labs, Vibrant, for example. But then other doctors say those aren't real labs. They're 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 quacks. If you have a positive mm-hmm. test from there, it's not real. So were you finding this information? Because it sounds like on one hand you were like, I have a real diagnosis. I have Lyme disease. But on the other hand, you were also questioning the test because you were only two bands, right? So where was your where was your mind at this point? Did you think like 100% I have Lyme or were you just still sort of unsure? I am a very naturally skeptic person. And so until I've until I've researched something for myself to death almost. <laughs> and so I couldn't, you know, I, I believed that at first. And then I didn't believe it at times. And so it was torture not believing in it fully because you're getting told, well, no, maybe it's, maybe this, maybe this isn't right. And there is a lot of controversy around it. And I, I got told by my local uh, infectious disease uh, 
practitioners that they wouldn't even see me because they don't qualify agenics as a legitimate source to test for Lyme disease because it's not what they use. It's not, uh, it's not, it's not, you know, from the CDC standards. And then, so there you have, you have getting told by the top doctors in, in Western medicine, uh, that you, this isn't, this isn't valid, but then you're getting then you go online, you see thousands of people having the same issues as you and everything you've tried prior to that isn't working. None of the primary doctors have answers. I went to a neurologist. And if you want to get into that part, I'm not sure yet, but I found this. Okay. Well, yeah, we will in a little bit, but I, but, but I think Ryan, it's, it's confusing. It's scary. And we're desperate, right. To sum up the emotional state of where we're at when we get diagnosed, because there is no clear, this is what you need to do to feel better. And there's a lot of conflicting opinions by experts in the medical field. So there really is no assurance on your end that I have Lyme and I'm going to feel better at this point when you get a diagnosis, it sounds like. I went on a relentless quest for truth and knowledge. And I don't know of anybody that's probably researched as much as I did uh, because I didn't have much else to do. I was pretty much bedridden and couch bound all day long trying to work. And we were in lockdowns with COVID. And so all I did was get to think about this and how can I get better? How can I get out of this horrible situation? Because I was presenting with MS-like symptoms and it, was, it wasn't getting better. And so I, I said, I have to. There's nothing, there's no other option. And I don't believe that it's just depression anxiety. So I just want to highlight some of your symptoms early on around this time. So people understand the complexity of what you were dealing with, right? So you had the, the neck pain you described, you had the brain fog, night sweats, occipital neuralgia, which is really like nerve damage in your head and the back of your skull, right? And that's causing pain in, in your nerves and your, in your head, mm -hmm. right? Is that what that is? Mm -hmm. Okay. So then you, you got heart palpitations, muscle weakness. And this is coming from a guy who's like a muscle builder at this point. And you're having muscle weakness, which is really inconsistent with what you're doing and your your workout routine so that's got to be a huge red flag right there mm -hmm. all the psychological stuff you know sudden onset depression and anxiety is out of the norm right it's not like oh you've been suffering with anxiety your whole life this is just out of the blue anxiety it sounds like at least the, to the extreme level you know the brain brain fog the arthritis chronic fatigue the muscle twitching right that i think many of us have experienced your extreme insomnia i mean you were just affected your whole body was affected by this at this point so and you're trying to work, you get a diagnosis, you go into research, research mode. Tell us what you do, Ryan, now to start to begin to treat Lyme at the early stages. Yeah, well, we, we did quite a bit. Um, you know, I, I did the knee, I had the knee jerk reaction, like I, like I think probably a lot of people would, where I need to nuke this out of me with antibiotics. You know, you get a bacterial infection, what do you do? You treat it with antibiotics. Makes sense. And so, I, you know, I found another doctor who he is actually a, he was a, he was a, um, he was in the regular medical field and he was, uh, a kind of a naturopath Lyme doctor as well, a Lyme litter doctor in Alexandria, Minnesota. And it was really refreshing to meet somebody that had, uh, you know, regular medical practice experience, but also knew what, what Lyme, chronic Lyme disease is and then is treating for it. And so we started on a, a cocktail of antibiotics thinking that, you know what, let's just, let's hit it as hard as we can and let's kill those buggers, get them out of there. And we'll start feeling better real fast. You know, I was, I was very naive to think that 
you know what, in six months, I'm probably going to be back to where I was, you know? And so I started that, but actually I started getting worse when I tried those antibiotics out. You know which antibiotics and, it was specifically? Do you recall? Well, I did, I did rifampin, combination rifampin, um, minocycline. And then I, I can't, I can't remember the name of that one, but there was, it was a triple co- antibiotic combination therapy. And I introduced one at a time. And then a week later, I'd put, I'd introduce another one and so on and so forth. Um, but you know, at the same time I was researching, all right, what is, what, how, how have people experienced these medications together? What's the outcome, the likely outcome potential? Um, what are the potential side effects and things? And I had never felt worse. Um, and why, and, and I didn't know why I'm like, okay, why am I now feeling worse? Okay. Well, you're, you're killing it so fast that your body can't eliminate the toxins and the bacteria that's dying off. But, but if you ever, you know, if you ever are, you want to know if you may have Lyme disease, grab a, grab a prescription of doxycycline and try it out for a few days. And if you get significantly worse, well, then you need to dig further. And so to me, it was actually a little bit, uh, assuring that there is something going on here. Um, and then I, and then I realized, I don't think antibiotics are the way for me. I don't want to destroy my gut. I don't even know, like I was still conflicted in my mind of what I had going on in me because my, my hygienic test wasn't that great. And so I kept pursuing different tests with vibrant, with, uh, MDL labs. And I just, I wanted to get to the bottom of it. And I wanted someone to, to, to officially tell me, hundred percent without a doubt you have Lyme and all these other infections. I love that antibiotic or the doxycycline comparison because so many people come on here and say, I think I have Lyme or I thought I had Lyme. I didn't know if I had Lyme. And that, that period caused me to delay my diagnosis and treatment because of the uncertainty. And, you know, we know that labs aren't perfect. Even the best labs and private labs in the world aren't perfect. So the, if you have a bad response to doxycycline and you feel worse, that's probably a Herx and you're probably killing off Lyme, right? I mean, that's a cool, Mm -hmm. that's a cool way to think about it. So, when did this neurologist come to play? You mentioned earlier there's an experience you had with a neurologist you wanted to share. Is that around this time, or is that still later down the timeline? That was we yeah that was around that same time frame. Um, I I was having so many issues with uh, with muscle twitching, and I was really concerned. Like maybe I am developing MS or ALS, and uh, you know that's God forbid it's one of the most horrific things you could ever develop. And I, and I, I thought, you know what, this might be what's happening. This might be it for me. And I need to, I need to get to the bottom of that's what's going on. And so I started having, um, you know, different tests through a neurologist in Fargo and I saw a younger guy and I told him everything that was going on. And, and, uh, I told him all the research I'd done. I'd, I'd read, uh, a lot of Dr. Rawls work and, and, uh, and Buner's work as well. And it was refreshing that this younger doctor had actually read Dr. Rawls' uh, book. And so he was aware of it, but he also told me that this is out of his league and that he doesn't know enough and hasn't been trained on it to know if this is actually causing my issues or not. So what he could do for me is just run every every test in the book Um and and see what we see and find out and he did that and it was all normal (laughs) and i was certain something was going to come up you know mri scans uh you know they did that test where they stick the needles in your in your body to check for the electrical impulses um 
I, and it was, it, it was terrible to go through all those tests. And then we reviewed them and he said, I can't, there's nothing here. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's potential that it could be something bacterial, you know, chronic infection related, but it's out of his wheelhouse. And therefore he referred me to Johns Hopkins. And were you able to get into Johns Hopkins and how did that go? <laughs> here I'm thinking, oh, well, awesome. Finally, a, a, a world-renowned, you know, university that actually has a Lyme Research Center. Great. I'm finally going to get to the bottom of this. We're going to get insurance coverage for everything. And then I, I called to schedule the appointment. And the nurse tells me that because my tests with Igenix weren't the full five bands that the CDC says need to be positive for a Lyme diagnosis, that even though it sounds probably like chronic Lyme disease, they could not see me. And the top, you know, put the, put the cherry on the top of the cake. Uh, the nurse told me that honestly, for what they do and what they know right now and how they treat chronic Lyme disease, I'd be better off just going to a Lyme literate medical doctor near me somewhere in Minnesota because they would know just as much, if not potentially more of how to treat me. And that to me just blew my mind. So right. I had a representative of a major, one of the top health universities in the world telling me you'll need to go to one of these places where these people are called quacks. Okay. So what's really going on here? <laughs> you know, this makes me think of like the hot potato analogy where we had Dr. Embers on last and she was telling us when she got into researching Lyme disease, all of her colleagues and peers in the research community said, you don't want to get into the Lyme arena. You just simply don't want to. It's like nobody wants to touch it. It's just so weird how how this is this is sort of just such a, a controversial disease. And it is getting better, it seems, but it's still obviously not what it should be. Now, I, what do you... I'll, I'll make it clear, too. I don't fault these um, healthcare providers, you know, the nurses, the the neurologists, I don't fault them because they're just they're just going off of what they were trained and what they know. And it, like you just said, it's it's so complicated that they couldn't even begin to, you know, uh, take the time to really give someone proper care and diagnosis and treatment. So at this point, are you starting to look for Lyme literate medical doctors near you? Is that, are you taking the advice of Johns Hopkins and trying to find somebody locally who specializes in Lyme to pick up your treatment protocol? I have not because I got to a point where um, I did so much different therapies and changed my lifestyle, my diet. Um, and oh, I, no, I'm sorry, not right now, Ryan. Like not in the present, but like oh, back, sorry, like, back in that moment. After Let's dump that out, huh? No, 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 it's all good. <laughs> that was a poor question on my part. Yeah, at that point, I was like, all right, um, I got to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to have to do this myself. And I'm going to, I'm going to find, I'm going to, I kept researching, uh, did a lot of research. I was looking at all the, I was listening to the latest podcast from Marty Ross. I was on Dr. Rawls website, looking at all of his information. And I was literally just connecting all the dots. You know, you see that meme of the guy that's pointing at the wall and he's got the strings attached trying to explain something, you know, I was like that guy. <laughs> I was like, okay, I did this. Then I checked that. I tried this out. Then I went here. I, and so I kept just, I kept piecing together what was working for me. I'd try trial something out. I'd see how it felt. 
um, because I'd learned that if you can get through an, the initial hump of, uh, of a therapy, you should start to see some improvements. And so if I didn't see some improvements after a month, month and a half of trying a treatment, I would switch. I'd, I'd change up my strategy uh, because I was doing everything. I was doing uh, infrared saunas, Epsom salt baths. I was drinking the lemon water, which detoxes your body. Uh, I was taking care of my gut. I was getting better sleep, you know, taking, I was on some medication to help me sleep even. And how were you addressing your gut? What specifically were you doing for that? So I, I got on a, I got on a program actually through a company called Viome. Are you guys, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but they kind of, they actually take a, a DNA approach and they test your gut flora and your and the bacteria that's the healthy and then and the bad bacteria in your gut and they put together custom precision supplements tailored specifically to the type of bacteria that is deficient in your body that way you are getting exactly what your body needs and nothing else and so i was doing viome's program for a while and that seemed to really help they had these uh uh these um what do you call them probiotic packets that I'd mix it in my water and I'd take that. And so I was doing that for the gut and trying to, you know, I, I was gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, alcohol-free for about a year and a half. Uh, on occasion, I'd cheat and have a little gra- glass of red wine at a, at a holiday party, but that was it. I was very strict. I mean, I treated this like, uh, like I'm getting a, a PhD. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to do everything I can. And that's the most I can do, right? I mean, that's all any, anyone can do. I mean, at least we all have access to information at our fingertips. And so another thing that I really found valuable is red light therapy. Um, I was going to Planet Fitness. And so they have a red light therapy booth there. It's part of your membership. And so the resources were all around me. And I just had to compile them together and and use them and and stick with it and just be consistent. Because that's the thing I find that you find is if you're not consistent, it, it won't, it won't stick. You know, you're just kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall and, and hoping something helps and then it doesn't last. And so I just stuck with it. Um, I kept just cycling different things out. And so, yeah, it, it. So Ryan, you, you mentioned a lot of detox tools. You mentioned a mm-hmm. lot of gut repairing tools. Were you doing anything from an antimicrobial standpoint to reduce the pathogens, the Lyme? And I believe Around this time, you got a test through, I believe it was Vibrant, and you had Lyme. You mentioned a couple of strains of Lyme. You had Babesia. You had uh, and reactivated viruses, the cytomegalovirus. You had parvovirus. You had Epstein-Barr virus active. So were you doing anything to knock down the reactivated viruses and also the bacterial infections from the tick-borne illnesses? Yeah, so Vibrant was was definitely uh, one, of the, one of the first tests that really validated that something was going on, and it really kind of gave me a picture of what to attack and how to approach it. Um, and so I believe my doctor had wanted me to kind of go after one infection first. And so we really tried to tackle uh, Borrelia. Was it the because... same doctor after you got you know rejected by you know the, the specialists? Did you go back to your same doctor or did you find somebody else to treat with at that point? So I'm not very... So people... I'm not, I'm not a super loyal patient. I would, I saw simultaneously, I was talking to probably three different practitioners from different clinics, um, which was expensive, but you know, it was, it was worth it in the end because each one gave me a little bit of knowledge and and things that to use that helped me. 
Um, so I, I was working alongside somebody kind of giving them up. Here's what I'm, here's what I'm going to, here's what I'd, I'll try. How does this sound? And they'd work with me to come up with a plan. Um, you know, I would take, what I would do is I would take it into consideration and I would go, all right, I'll give what they're saying a shot, but I also have my own little spin on things that I'm going to do too, because I've done so much research and I know what's helping people. I know, uh, you know, I kind of know what, what sort of plan to put together for myself. Um, and it's expensive. You keep going to these visits every, every, uh, couple of weeks. And so, um, yeah. What was your question again? You know, that, that you answered the question. The question was what doctor were you seeing? And you were seeing many doctors throughout this, this experience, but I do want to, you, and before we get back to what you were doing from an antimicrobial standpoint to address the Borrelia, which it sounds like you did first with these, with this team of doctors is you mentioned earlier that you had multiple strains of Lyme. Was that found through Vibrant? When did you learn that? And what strain specifically did you have? And I know you said one of them is typically not found here, which was an interesting comment you made. Yeah, it was through Vibrant Labs. Um, and it was, I, I, you know, some of the names are kind of hard to say of these pathogens. I mean, no one's ever heard of them before and unless you're uh, a researcher. And so one, one of them, I believe, is Borrelia miyamoti. Um, and I believe that's an Asian, an Asian uh, variant that can be found out in in that in that area. And the other was uh, like Afzeli or something like that. But it was two or three other um, other variants that aren't typically found in Minnesota, especially if not even the country. And so I, you know, I, I was like, okay, Borrelia is definitely hitting me hard right now. And from what I've learned, Borrelia often is immunosuppressive. So if you can take care of Borrelia, the main pathogens, um, you know, the, the Lyme pathogens, the co-infections, you have a much better chance of knocking out the co-infections because your immune system will start to kick back in once you've taken care of, uh, you know, Lyme disease. And so, uh, so that's kind of, you know, I, I really started, you know, not thinking about Babesia, Bartonella, all the other things, and just focused on that. And, and, uh, it's, it started to help a little bit, but then I would have lingering symptoms from what seemed to be Babesia that weren't going away. And so then we started to attack that. Brian, before we go on to Babesia, I want to just note, you said you had Borrelia Avzeli and Borrelia Avzeli is a strain of Lyme that's known. If, if you go to Google, literally I'm reading this from Google right now, Borrelia Avzeli is identified regularly in patients in Europe. Not the United States, right? And you weren't Correct. in Europe, or were you in Europe at all throughout this nope, time? Never, okay, never been never. out of the country besides Canada. Never left the country. And typically, if you do a Western blot here in the States or the traditional two-tier testing, they're not even looking for European strains. So I just want to highlight that for our listeners, that you had to do a specialized test through a specialized lab to realize you had a strain of Lyme disease that people believe to only be found in Europe, not the United States, right? So that's another factor mm -hmm. to this. And you had multiple strains. I also want to comment on something you said where you decided to address the Borrelia first. And I always question when people say, well, you know, it's I, my, my argument used to be this is a broad spectrum disease, chronic Lyme disease. It's not just Borrelia burgdorferi. You have to address the whole slate to feel better. And I know you're a fan of Dr. Ross. You mentioned Dr. Marty Ross. We had him on the podcast and I asked him that question. And Rachel likes to tell people he slapped me around in response. And I can say he did. And he was correct. And his response was, Matt. If we can address something like Borrelia burgdorferi or Borrelia, whatever species we have, the body will have a fighting chance to now work on the remaining things. Because mm -hmm. to your point, we're removing we're removing the immune suppressive bacteria that is Lyme disease. We're removing the infection 
And potentially your body can now on its own fight back the remaining infections you have. And that happens in some people, but it right. doesn't in others, right? So I just, I think it's a really good comment you made there and a good choice to start there. So then you, well, before we even get into Babesia, what were you doing specifically to treat the Borrelia? Can you tell us some of the therapies? Was it herbal? Was it heroic? Was it natural? You know, what were you doing to treat these things, or Borrelia specifically? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when, when I got that confirmation, I, I, again, I was like, you know what, let's knock this out. Let's hit it as hard as we can. Let's do the, the biggest things without the antibiotics this time. And so, you know, one of the, one of the good things about some of these Lyme herbs, you know, that Buner recommends is that they're broad spectrum. And so some of them will, will kill off uh, the microbes from Lyme bacteria and Babesia and Bartonella. Um, you know, and so you are, you are hopefully reducing the, the load of bacteria overall from those infections as well, while you're, you know, focusing, you know, trying to focus on, uh, Borrelia, the Lyme disease bacteria. So I actually did a, a 10 pass of UV, UV, IV ozone therapy through a functional, uh, doctor in, in Fargo. And this doctor actually doesn't really have a lot of Lyme training, wasn't super familiar with Lyme. Um, you know, I hadn't, hadn't seen a lot of people for it, but I did go to him for some, um, IV vitamin therapy and UV IV ozone. And, uh, you know, every time I would do one of these certain therapies and, and stick with it, I noticed I was seeing maybe 10, 20, 30% improvement. And it was, it was, you know, it gave you hope and that's what you need when you're in that state is hope. What does so, stick with it mean? How long is it before you saw that 10, 20, 30% improvement? Was, are we talking weeks, months? How long is the time period here with that with that UV, IV ozone? Well, you know, I, in addition to that, I was doing a lot of other things too, you know, such as the red light therapy and all the detoxing and eating healthy. And, you know, and so I'm, I'm within the full, within the full spectrum of it, um, I would say, ah, uh, I would say it took a couple months, three, four months, and I started to notice it, you know, turning the corner. Um, but then, it, you know, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't cure you. It, it didn't, it doesn't cure you. And you think like, well, maybe this expensive treatment with this IV ozone that's kills bacteria and viruses within your blood uh, system will do the trick, but it doesn't do the trick fully. It definitely helps you get to the next stage. For me, it did. Um, you know, I know some people claim that they did that and that's all it took. And that's, you know, everybody's different. And so, uh, I had more work to do. And so I kept, I kept, uh, I kept, uh, trialing new different things and, uh, kept moving. Right. What's the idea behind the UV component? So IV ozone, we've heard historically oxygenates the blood and it puts, you know, your takes your blood out, they run oxygen into it, it oxygenates your blood and it allows your body to basically kill the Lyme bacteria through this IV ozone. Is that correct with the with the ozone piece yep, of it? Yep. And yep. Then... So how that works? It's such an interesting therapy. Um, and I actually my dot my the guy that I saw at the time said he had been having a lot of success with people with long COVID get their sense of taste and smell back after doing a round of of ozone. And so he had different levels that you could do. Some were more potent than others. And so what they did is they take uh, a, like a pint of your blood and extract that out of your body. And then they take the blood and they run it through a UV light back into you so that, you know, whatever is in your blood, UV light will kill off all the pathogens and bacteria and viruses. And then they mix that with ozone gas. And then the ozone gas and your original blood go back into you and circulates back in throughout your body. And that's, you know, thought to 
you know, circulate ozone throughout you uh, in a in a holistic, you know, in, in your entire circulatory system, so that it will kill off bacteria and pathogens. Um, you know, and you do. I think I did um, five or six of those, and I I definitely noticed a difference uh, after three or four of them. I was like, okay, this is this is doing something. And then sometimes after I'd be done, I'd feel a lot worse for a couple of days, um, which is probably the die off of the bacteria. And so I do think it, I do think that definitely helped. Um, it didn't cure me <laughs> and you won't probably find many people that will tell you that it will cure you, but it, you know, it's part of the arsenal that you, that I had in, that I'd found. But I'd say a 30% improvement is huge for somebody who's suffering, right? So that's a really big note. It's not, it may not, I don't think there is any magic bullet, right? There's no cure. There's, there's no one cure, one magic bullet. So that's, that's a nice tool to put in a tool belt for somebody looking for something to try. Now, was there anything else you did for Borrelia specifically before we get into the Babesia treatment you pivoted to? Well, I actually, um, I tried frequency medicine as well. Um, I tried the, it's called the Wave 1 device. And I know that I actually had heard about it from Yolanda Hadid talking about her time in using the, the Wave frequency device. And that had actually, uh, of all things she had tried, that actually uh, like got her back to pretty much full functioning. And so I did that. I was very hopeful about it. I wore that for probably 10 months while I was doing other treatments as well. Um, you know, I'm, I'm doing the, the herbal therapies uh, in addition to all of this as well. And so I did that. I knew it was going to take a while. You have to build up different programs on it. And then it, you know, that, that whole area is fascinating as well because frequency medicine is something that's been around for a long time with with rife technology and you hear about that in in the lime circles with with uh rifing and freak this was a, a wearable device that you just you put on your ankle and you turn it on and it uh it, it it seemingly works all day long for you know four to six hours and you take it off and charge it and put it on again the next day and so it was very you know i love that it was easy minimal i could put it on discreetly and have it on and not worry about it and and, uh, you know, it, it seemed to do something. It seemed to help maybe another 15, 20%. Um, but again, I don't know if it, 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 it was the cure-all for me. Um, but I think every little bit had helped uh, for how bad off I was. I think a 15, 20% improvement, though, is still a huge improvement, right? These are all building upon each other here to get you to ultimate health where you're at today. Now, just as a side note, we had the founder of Free Medica, who is the company that created the Wave 1, now the Wave 2, and also the Nikki, which is a new watch. Mm. It looks like a watch. It literally goes on your wrist. It's a tiny little watch, and it has the same frequencies that go in. And that was episode 360. That's on our website as well and our podcast if people want to learn more about that. Really fascinating origin story about why he got into the Lyme business and the tick-borne disease uh, business. Mm -hmm. And he really went deep about all things frequency. So that's just a side there. So in addition to the UVIV got you about 30%, the wave one frequency device got you maybe 15% improvement. And this is still strictly for Brelli. We haven't gone on Babesia yet. Is there anything else? And obviously the foundation, which is the Buner Rolls herbal protocol, right? Is there anything else you're throwing in for the for the Borrelia or the Lyme disease before we go on to the Babesia treatment? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how detailed you want me to get, man, because yeah, let's, it, let's do it. It's a lot. It's a lot. And it's going to make people's heads spin because probably no, no other human being would ever do this much, <laughs> but that's just how I am. Um, and so I went and saw a, a guy who had, had uh, people had claimed to have been fantastic results. A friend of mine 
his family had seen him. Uh, he does bioresonance testing in a um, small town in Minnesota by uh, Walker in Walker, Minnesota. And um, he did a bioresonance test and he also confirmed it was Lyme and uh, several other pathogens, uh, viruses that I'd never even heard of. Um, and so he gave me some homeopathic drops and, uh, I was skeptical. I was quite skeptical about that stuff, but some people swore by it. Um, and I do think there is some, some legitimacy to buy resonance. Um, and so I, I gave it a shot just like everything. I kept my mind open. I, I didn't, uh, I didn't try to poo poo anything. And I said, you know what, if, if some people have said this has worked, we'll see we're not, I'm trying it. If you told me to eat dirt and it cured you, I would eat dirt. <laughs> and so I tried that. Um, didn't think it was doing a whole lot for me. At this point, I was probably 60% better, uh, you know, getting, getting there, getting very, getting further along. Um, but then I found to be, you know, I listened to a podcast regarding a, um, something that incorporates kind of like essential oils and, uh, different, um, I forget what's in exactly, but it's called biocidin. And I'm sure you guys have heard of biocidin. Definitely. And yep. I listened to a, some some podcast or some interviews from a lady that created biocidin and how how much it did in their studies for uh, reducing parasites and viruses and bacteria in horses. And it was just fascinating to me the the studies that they had done on it. And so I started to really think this this there's something to this. And so biocidin, I actually think was one of the top things that helped me uh progress to almost almost full almost fully back um and i think it's a great thing in general if, if for 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 general sickness and so i really that and then um yeah so biocidin and then i tried colloidal silver um i did a zeolite detox but my copper was low so that was what was interesting to me i was doing all the you know alongside of this i will say too i was i was checking labs periodically you know all the all the blood levels your kidney liver everything like that just to make sure that you know we were on on course with what i was taking wasn't causing damage and things like that and so i was doing this all with under doctor's cares and and making sure that i wasn't hurting myself and making myself worse um by trying these things out and so i was seeing improvements in my levels on my lab tests for my blood levels. I was seeing improvements, you know, I was doing, I was doing some of these tests that you can kind of, uh, ascertain whether you might have, uh, a parasite, a parasitic infection. And it was showing that it was high on certain levels. Um, I wish I could pull it up right now because I, it, the, the name of the tests, uh, kind of, uh, I'm blanking on them right now. Cause there's just so many, um, I was noticing changes and differences, but still I was having some symptoms. Um, and so I was getting a lot better, uh, but I wasn't quite there yet. Wasn't quite there yet. So, But biocidin was a real game changer for you, it sounds like. And biocidin, I'm on Dr. Marty Ross's website. And, you know, he talks about how it can decrease and eliminate biofilms of Lyme. It can inhibit or kill all forms of Lyme, including the spirochete, cyst, and Lyme found in biofilms, because we know Lyme can change into different shapes and sh shift change. It also decreases drug resistance in Lyme by blocking certain pumps that remove antibiotics from germs. It inhibits yeast, which is a key part mm -hmm. of a lot of chronic Lyme patients, right? 
It had it decreases SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which is very common in Lyme also. And it may also support treatment of intestinal parasites and support immune system, right? So that's like that's like a ton of things right there that are very mm -hmm. common in Lyme patients. So it makes sense why something like that would be so helpful in your case. And it's helpful in many cases. So the colloidal silver is interesting. That helped you as well, but you said you had to be careful with your your copper, right? Yeah, I did some research on that and I found that when you're when you're um trying to purge heavy metals out of your body, copper is a metal. So if you already have low copper, it can contribute to making it lower. And if you ever, you know, I looked into, and that was the, the odd thing. I looked into what low copper was like, and I did see a correlation between Lyme and low copper levels uh, from, from just scanning on the forums on, on Facebook and things. And uh, there's a lot of symptoms of low copper. If you get to the extreme low, that look like Lyme, Lyme symptoms as well. And so I was taking copper supplements. Um, I, I, I stopped the zeolite. So I, because I didn't want to keep removing that from my body, you know, you need a balance of those type of minerals. Uh, and so, you know, I, I just, I, I figured, you know, I've, I've done it. I did it long enough. I tried it for, you know, at least a month and a half. And, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that one away. <laughs> you know, if I, if I noticed if something was affecting something else negatively health wise, and it was a treatment, I would say, nope, I'm not going to do it. There's other, there's other options out there. I don't want to make myself worse in so, the quest to, to full health. The biocidin specifically, can you tell us Ryan, what symptoms that helped? You said it was really powerful. What was it physical and psychological? What what are the symptoms that you had that were left? Did the biocidin help you with? Uh, I mean, I would say just overall, it, it really helped with uh, my energy levels. I was getting my strength back, physical strength. Um, mentally, I was doing much better. Um, my anxiety was going down. And uh, my muscle twitching was starting to lower a little bit. And, and so just overall, it was, it was just a part of that holistic, uh, treatment course that really, um, made a difference. And I, I was, I had conviction and that's what gets you through some of this is conviction because these things do take a while. Um, you know, I would, I would say bios, I, could be a first line of defense. Um, the jury's out on it still. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't looked into it lately, but back when, you know, a couple of years ago now, when I was on it uh the, the research was very promising and sound and having people like marty ross back it up um i felt very confident about what i was what i was trying and believed in it and that and part of that part of getting better is the belief in getting better and so when you know and when you see improvement you go i am gonna get better from this and we're getting there and i'm i'm, I'm determined and so you have to have that inner drive <laughs> otherwise uh it's gonna be a longer road um and so it, it, yeah, biocide, and I could, uh, you know, definitely, you know, shout out to that, you know, not medical advice, but it, uh, it worked for me as far as I could tell. And I recommend it to people sometimes for, you know, Hey, Oh, you got COVID you have long haul symptoms, maybe look into biocide. you know, I, I don't, I don't usually push anything onto people. I say, Hey, look at, look into this. I make them aware of it and I let them decide on, on what they've researched for themselves, if it's right for them or not. So Ryan, anything else on the Borrelia side before we talk about the Babesia? I know you've done a lot, so feel free to, you know, keep throwing th things at us if, if there's anything left. Yeah, I mean, in addition to that, I was I was taking uh, like 
uh, OptiGreens 50, which is a super rude green supplement by first form. Um, I was doing, uh, electric, I was taking electric powder, mi powder mix. So making sure all my, my, my minerals and vitamins were balanced and it, it, because lime really, really takes that nutrition out of you. And when your body's fighting so hard all the time, you have to give it increased support. And so I was doing just regular things that people should probably do every day. And, you know, I was cutting out sugar and cutting out alcohol as much as I could and gluten, which I found out just how much gluten can impact inflammation and, you know, feed bacteria and things like that. And so, um, all that really just all that together on top of that, you know, we could get into the mold thing. There's a huge, there's a huge controversy on mold within this community. And I, I, uh, that really kind of messed my head up a little bit too, because the house I was in living in at the time, we found black mold. Uh, we had water damage and, uh, that was another thing that's that house was a source of stress as well. And, uh, my wife and I ended up selling, selling that house because we just didn't know. We didn't, we didn't feel, we didn't know about the mold thing. I, I had, uh, I'd, I'd done the VCS test, VCS test and I passed it. And um, if you follow Shoemaker at all, Richie Shoemaker, he was very, um, very adamant that this test identified people with mold illness or not. And then I started, you know, but you question it. You're like, oh, how is a vision test going to tell me that I have mold in my system or not? Right. Sounds kind of crazy. And so then you hear about the urine tests and there's lab tests for that. But then you hear about how that might not be perfectly accurate either and people can test positive for it and still not have issues with mold you know and then there's a gene for mold the hladr gene that if you have this gene you're more susceptible to being sick with mold illness and so i do it's it's definitely legitimately it causes sickness in people and so you go online and people are going i'm not getting better i don't understand i'm not getting better and then you're starting to think well i'm not getting fully better either and then people go, it's because you're living in mold <laughs> well, they say it with such certainty. And, and so I couldn't believe everything people uh, said was absolute, right? Because I'd see people that go through the mold journey and just how brutal it was. And to me, it was just so defeating in my mind to think I could do all of what I've already explained to you and never even get better if I'm living in mold. And you might move and go somewhere else. And there's probably mold there too, if you buy a house or whatever it may be. So my wife and I moved to a brand new apartment uh, in Fargo and it was great. It was uh, clean, fresh, everything. We sold our house um, and we had remedi remediated the mold that we had found, but we weren't sure if there was still some, you know, behind the walls or whatever. And so I wasn't going to tear my house apart and spend all this money fixing up my house and looking for mold. I even did the, the, the cloth test where you, uh, you can actually send in, it's called an ERMI test, an ERMI test or a hurts me test and you can, it'll test as far as I know, it's pretty accurate. Um, it will test the molds on the dust on your surfaces in your house. You send it in, it'll show you kind of what molds you're dealing with in your house. I did that. I sent it in and it said there weren't any molds that were the kind that causes, uh, extreme, uh, illness in people, you know, the, the, the statue, statue mold and all that stuff. So, I let the mold go. I let it go. <laughs> let it be. I wasn't going to think about mold anymore. I'm not, that's not my issue, not my concern. 
And so again, it's that mindset belief because a lot of people will cling on to these things. I'm not going to get better until I get the mold problem fi- figured out or the parasite problem figured out or, you know, insert XYZ heavy metal problem figured out. But really it's a lot of it is calming your, your body down to allow itself to the nervous system to heal it because we, we should be able to handle these things, you know, internally, we should be able to handle these things. So I, I couldn't get caught up in everything. If you do, you're just going to drive yourself crazy. And I did for a while, let it drive me crazy, you know, trying to, trying to identify what it was, what, what is it that's causing this? And, uh, and so that I just wanted to add that in there because that I know that's a huge part of people's journeys is not just the, not just solely Lyme. There's so much else going on. And so, well, that was an extremely good overview of mold. And I couldn't agree more that when it comes to mold, a lot of people just instill fear in others about mold and that can be triggering and that can, that can weaken our immune systems. The more fear we have, it can make us even sicker. And, and the way we approach it is a really important way, but you also outlined things we can do to test both our bodies and our homes and our environment for mold. And you gave us some very specific examples there. So thank you for that, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Now, well, let's, let's talk about the Babesia. So you pivot over the, uh, to Babesia and you start treating that once you think you've gotten a handle on the Lyme. What did that look like? Yeah. And I'll back up even a little bit because when I did my, I did my, my initial test with Igenix was just for uh, Borrelia Lyme disease, uh, just testing for that. And then um, I started to learn about co-infections and how common they are with that, you know, that coincide a lot of times with this uh, Lyme bacteria that you have to treat as well. And, you know, learning about some of the symptoms and kind of, kind of distilling that down to, okay, you know, um, coming up with, uh, you know, what I was experiencing still related to which pathogen. And it, in my mind, it seemed like, you know, there was a lot that leaned towards Babesia with the neck stiffness. I was still having drenching night sweats. So I'd wake up in a pool of sweat um, almost every night. And especially when I started with some of the Babesia treatments. And so to me, I was like, okay, this seems like it's, it, I have this as well going on. And so I went into and took the Igenix co-infection test. I did a panel and I was like, okay, I know that's not perfect, but my gosh, this is, this is the, this is the lab that everybody says is the one that will find it and things like that. And it, I did the test, Igenix, eagerly waiting, pretty much expecting to see a positive. And it was all negative. All co-infections were negative. And then my head just was, it just was spinning. I'm like, what in the world? And then I go online, I'm looking at anybody else have, you know, end up finding out they did have Babesia or Bartonella, but their Igenix was negative. And then people like, yeah, I took, I tried this lab and this lab. And then I, and then I found out I did have it. And that was the cause of a lot of my symptoms. I treated it and I got better. And so I'm like, all right, well, I have to keep, I have to keep finding for the truth. For me, I'm not, I don't like to just throw things, throw, throw uh, darts in the, in the board and hope they stick. I got to know what's going on. And so I did Vibrant, I did MDL, and there I found uh, Babesia microti. And um, we, you know, it was very validating as well and started to treat for that. So what kind of treatment? did you use for Babesia? I know there's a lot of traditional Western medicine or pharmaceutical medicine and a ton of herbal as well. So I'm curious where you went first with this. Yeah. Um, one of the, I mean, so by, so some of the stuff I was doing treating with, with for Lyme specifically also kind of tapped some of that. 
But um, the, not, one of the number one recommendations that you'll find they recommend is uh, malarone. You know, it's an antiparasitic medicine um, that's been around for many, many years. And uh, so I started, mal started using malarone. And, um, I did that for several, several months. And I also did a cryptolepsis, Cita acuta, uh, wormwood, uh, as well. Some of the natural herbal, herbal recommendations. So it's, it's kind of hard for me to remember exactly when I did, did what, um, between the herbal and the, um, prescription medication. I'm pretty sure I was trying the herbal first and it wasn't, you know, and, and Marty Ross, again, he has a lot of good data to back up um, some of these some of these herbal uh, therapies and their effectiveness. And so I really, again, I had my conviction like this is going to work. Um, this guy has seen thousands of people and it's helped all of them. It's going to help me. And so it did seem like it was helping, um, but it just was very persistent, very chronic and not not uh, not 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 letting up. And so. <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I did that malarone and that seemed to be helping as well. And so all of those things together, it, it, it was all helping. And again, I was probably 70 to 80% better at this point, but not, not completely. And so I wasn't satisfied yet. <laughs> well, I want to get into some of the other things you've done because I know you've done some other therapies like SOT therapy, peptide therapy, and more. So chronologically, when do those things come into play here? And even methylene blue, you know, I want to touch on some of the other treatments that you you shared with us. So, oh yeah, uh, yeah. what what came next? You know, as far as the treatments that you started rolling in at, at this point. Yeah. Um, so at this point, you know, you tried so many things, and you you went through what you're supposed to do, all the herbal theories, the the Buner protocol, Rawls and his herbs that overlap with that. And, and so then you kind of start getting into more of the fringe territory on some things. And I'd considered, uh, disulfiram, but I just was too nervous about the side effects mm -hmm. of it. And it just was so new as a therapy that I didn't want to, I didn't want to, you know, take a step backward. And so I just kept pursuing different things and, um, methylene blue, that was, that was something I started to research as well. And I was very fascinated by, um, and so that was, I, I started doing methylene blue. And I believe that was after the biocidin. Um, some of these I did in combination. Uh, you know, I'd kind of see how I was feeling. If I was feeling too too bad, I'd back off on things. Um, and then if I was feeling a little better, uh, I'd add I'd add something in. And so the methylene blue and the key with methylene blue that I found out is pairing it with red light therapy. And so I was like, it didn't make any sense to me, but um, I the the guy that I got. Uh, the methylene blue from that my doctor works with. I had a doctor in the cities at the time, a lady who uh, is really big on certain uh, alternative therapies like peptides and things like that. And she recommended this uh, very pure form of methylene blue in a, in a dropper and starting out slowly and you mix it with your water. And it, it, uh, it seemed to be helping as well with, with Babesia and Lyme in general. And so yeah, the methylene blue and the red light therapy combination seemed to be a very uh, uh, potent therapy that was that was getting me to that to that eighty percent. And so, what were some I of the might, symptoms? I might have some of this mixed around as far as the timeline. Uh, you know, it was within a span of two years that uh, I was doing all these treatments, and so you know, within seven hundred days, it's hard to now we're now we're uh, thankfully 
past a lot of that. You know, I put put a lot of it out of my mind for quite a while. And and so uh, it's a blur, you know, when you're going through something so so difficult, um, it's not something you you want to remember fondly. And so the, the timeline of things, I, I get a little jumbled, but, um, you know, the treatments, I did all of those in different different orders and different times leading ultimately up to SOT therapy. Right. Before we get to SOT therapy, mm-hmm. what chronic persistent symptoms that were left at this point were alleviated from the methylene blue combined with red light therapy? I was getting, I would say that my strength, my strength was coming back. The biggest, the biggest thing that Lyme did was made my legs weaker. Um, and so I was really, uh, not able to do leg exercises for, uh, about a year and a half. Um, you know, my legs would just, they would tremor and they twitch after I'd get done doing the leg press. And that was just really bothersome for me. And, you know, there's certain symptoms like you could live with this, you could live with these and you could, you could get by, you could be okay. Um, but I like feeling better than good. <laughs> and so I wanted to make sure everything was getting knocked out. And so muscle twitching, uh, the leg, the muscle weakness that was starting to improve. And I could notice that because I was going to the gym because, Hey, at the gym, there's that red light booth. I'll take my methylene blue, I'll go to the gym. And then I'll do a workout, I'll assess and just repeat. And it get, started to get better and better and better the more I did it. I think over probably a three-month period. And so it was pretty reassuring that it was it was it was working. Um and so yeah, it was I was getting to a point about sitting a plateau. I was hitting right. a plateau, right? And so I didn't want it to be my my biggest fear, and this is what happens when you go online and read too much, is that if you don't completely get rid of it, if it doesn't completely uh, die off and go into remission and you don't stay there for several couple of years, Marty Ross again will tell you, um, you know, if, 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 if after a year and a half to two years, your symptoms come back or you're starting to have your symptoms back, then you're going to have to continue probably treating. Um, but majority of people, if they can make it past two years, they will, he's found that yeah, pretty much most of them don't have a relapse of it. And so I didn't ever want to have to go back and have a relapse. And so that's why I continued to pursue things. So I knew that this was going to be gone from my body, even if it was at low levels, still causing inflammation, certain pains, aches, whatever it may be, um, neck stiffness and the night sweats continued. Uh, and that was, you know, that was telling me I wasn't better. I wasn't completely better yet. And so, so just knowing those things, um, you know, that's kind of where I, where I, where I ended up, uh, looking into the SOT therapy. So SOT is really fascinating. We had a gentleman on a few weeks ago who I think he's, he's done the most SOT in the world. He was saying, and he, he was the one who started doing it here at the Genesis center. So tell us about how you landed on SOT therapy. And we under, if you can just give us a brief overview of what SOT therapy is. And then what specific type of SOT therapy you did for what pathogen? Yeah, well, I'll try to explain it as, as uh, good as I can in my own terms, because it's pretty, it's pretty high level stuff and people haven't heard of it for the most part in, in Western medicine. But I started to see that this Genesis lab in Greece was uh, doing tests and, and sending back this uh, SOT treatments to uh, practitioners that were signing up for it in the U.S. And 
you know, when early on in my journey, uh, there wasn't anybody around me that would, that would, that offered it in anywhere close. They were in, the closest ones were in Florida and I believe California or, you know, a clinic in Mexico or Germany. And I, I had heard that, um, more places were starting to offer it. And so there was actually a clinic in Minnesota, central Minnesota, um, a guy named Dr. Salt, who, um, has been a, a, a functional practitioner in central Minnesota for, uh, I, I would guess over 30 years because he was retired and then came back out of retirement because so many people were sick from not just Lyme, obviously, but COVID and he, his community needed him, his state needed him, and he he had to come back to help people. And so I was one of his first, uh, one of his first few people that did SOT therapy at his clinic in Minnesota. Um, and honestly, uh, I asked him how how was the other people, how have they been doing? How you know, you always want to know like what's it, what's it, what's everybody else been experiencing? Are they getting better? You know, you're you're on the front lines. And he said that, um. I probably shouldn't quote him like this, but um, he told me that honestly, you know, it it might not be you know a cure for everything because there's so much going on in a in a sick, chronic, chronically ill person's body. But he said that it's helped so much for people that he would consider it now as a first line of treatment, and he would do it initially. It might not kill everything right away. But he said it's significantly reducing the bacterial load so that it, people can heal faster. And so since I had done all of that prior work that we had talked about previously here, I was in a really good position for this to be a successful therapy for me. And I, again, I, I, you know, you hear controversy about it. You hear, well, it worked so well. Some people would rave about it and say it was the only thing that got them better. And uh, I believe in technology. It's based kind of around mRNA technology. Um, and so essentially it's SOT, if I get it right, it's, it's called supportive oligonucleotide therapy. And what they do is they actually take, they, first you identify the specific pathogen in your blood. Um, that could be a virus, that could be bacterial, uh, whatever it is, they have to know exactly what it is. Um, so you, so I took another lab test with Vibrant so we could see what was going on. And sure enough, I had, I had, I had Borrelia burgdorferi popping up and I had these a couple other, um, you know, certain things popping up still. And even though I felt probably 70, 80% better, um, it was still present. And so they had to know that the doctors sent my blood off to Greece, uh, and they insert a molecule that, so first they, they then reassure and identify that, yep, you do have this pathogen. That's what I'm told. Um, and then they put this molecule, send it back in a vial back to your practitioner and uh, inject it back into you. And then this molecule stays present in your body for the next six months. And it essentially creates a shutoff key, which stops the bacteria from replicating because uh, these bacteria, they don't just, uh, they, they continue to manifest and replicate in your body slowly over time. And so if you're, if you don't kill it off completely or make it go dormant, uh, it will continue to, give you issues and, and spread and grow. And so that was, that was my last, that was my nail in the coffin. I'm like, all right, I'm doing this. I'm putting my faith into it. I'm and my doctor, you know, recommended actually let's stop herbs. Let's stop most of all these other therapies and let's see what happens. And I was excited to get off of things. <laughs> and so 
I stopped it. I put my my faith into it. I believed it. And uh, I got better and I didn't turn back. And now I, I would say, as far as I can tell, I'm I'm over it. I'm <laughs> quote unquote cured, I guess. So Ryan, um, was SLT the final piece of the puzzle for you? You think that's what got was. you into remission? I, I, you know, I don't know. It's hard to say. You like to think you know, but you, you, it's hard to know for sure. I haven't done another Lyme test since because I, for one, don't want to plant the seed in my head that, well, what if it's still there? Uh, so it's a very psychologically damaging uh, thing to, to, to realize. But uh, at some point, you just have to have faith and know that uh, this is this worked and go by how you're feeling and, um, you know, just take care of yourself and live healthy. And I believe it. I believe it worked. Everything that I did ha- had worked and I, I don't have those symptoms anymore. So did you do any other treatments after that, or that's kind of the last thing you did and you've been feeling well ever since? Well, I, I, there was an analogy someone told me once that really, uh, that really stuck with me because people think, well, you kill off the bacteria, you're going to be better. You're fine. But it's like a termite in your house. I'm sure you guys have probably heard this analogy, but termites, termites could be gone and they've created all this damage in your house, all these holes, all these, uh, places in your walls that that you can't even see the damage, but it's there. And the termites are gone, the issue's gone, but now you have to heal that damage. You have to repair that damage that was done. And so, yeah, I was doing, um, uh, you know, just regular vitamins and, and continuing my red light therapy, detoxing, uh, you know, just, just living healthily and then making sure my blood levels were good, you know, and my liver enzymes got a little high. Um, and then I found out my iron was high. And so, I actually, you know, this was not something that I would ever thought about. So I'm, I'm grateful for this uh, practitioner that recommended I go and donate blood. <laughs> so I donated blood to get my iron levels down and it, because iron is oxidizing. And so you are literally, if your iron levels are too high, that means you're rusting from the inside out. And so I don't know why that happened exactly. Um, and to be honest, I'll probably be getting regular checks on that and my other blood levels just to just to see and maybe that's just something to do with diet or genetics i don't know exactly but um so that was something i wouldn't have thought of and after doing that i did i did start feeling a lot more energetic <laughs> and that seemed to that seemed to be the what worked best is uh just continuing to support my body and and staying healthy and living living as stress free as possible i made career changes um, you know, I got out of some of the environments that were so stressful that might've put me into this state of, of, uh, you know, of nervous system dysregulation. And now I, I live a different life. I live much different than I used to. Uh, I think different. I appreciate way more. Um, I have a lot of empathy now for people who are ill. And, uh, so I can say it's, actually been a profound change that's uh made me a better person overall so ryan my final question before rich picks this up to conclude the podcast with you and talk about where you're living now and what you're doing now for work and Mm -hmm. and all that fun stuff i know at some point in your journey you did do peptide therapy specifically the thymus and alpha one bpc 157 and some others can you just share with us when that was in your journey and if they were helpful because a lot of our listeners want to learn you know they hear about bpc 157 and thymus and alpha one often and they want to know do they really work what do they help with and and should i give it a shot so if you can just speak to that and then rich is going to pick it up for you for the uh, for the end here 
Yeah, absolutely. Oh man. Yeah. The peptides are fascinating. Um, that's something that I started to, you know, and that's, and that's a community that's just people who are into biohacking in general, not even related to anything Lyme disease, but, um, the peptides, I, yeah, I had a practitioner in Fargo, the same guy that did my ozone treatment that, uh, prescribed me the peptides. Um, and I even actually saw a, uh, a men's health clinic that tests like testosterone and levels like that. And they just said, come into Fargo. And so there was a lot of new emerging uh, talk about it, research coming out about peptides. And so, again, it was another thing that I thought, hey, it can't hurt to try as far as what I've seen from the research. And so I tried uh, thymosin alpha-1 and BBC-157. Um, and so as far as I know, it, those seem to have helped, especially with the strength increase. BPC-157 is known to kind of help you heal heal your tissues and, and damage, damage muscles and muscle repair. They, there's a, they, they, they have a quote from some of these companies that sell it that you can heal like Wolverine. Um, whether it's true or not, I don't want to say it's right. I don't know. But um, again, I did my own research, came to the conclusion, weighed the benefits versus the risks and decided to try it. And so, um, yeah, if people want to check out peptide therapy, I think it's just another thing. And I, there are some things on it. I'd, I'd like to continue, uh, trialing out with peptides as well. So, um, and yeah, I think there's been a lot of good, good, uh, research on that lately that's coming out as well. So, so those are what I tried is, and that was in between kind of, um, between my ozone therapy and, um, getting diagnosed with babesia. So, <laughs> Well, that, that's interesting because a lot, a lot of the folks that we've interviewed um, in the past were using peptides as part of the uh, rehabilitation phase where mm -hmm. they get rid of the bugs. And now, you, you know, go back to your um, your comparison with the termites in the house. They were using they were using peptides as a vehicle for uh, healing some of the damage that was done to the wood from the termites. So it's interesting that you were you were doing that healing element of your work uh, when you started you started uh, treating uh, some of the other bacteria. Oh yeah. hundred percent because, um, some of them will heal, you know, certain function. There's so many peptides too. I mean, I don't even, if a morlin, there's, you could, you could really, you know, depending on what type of issue you might be having, what you need to support in your body, uh, you'll, you'll have a different peptide and there's some that are more popular than others. And thymus and alpha one is actually known to help modulate your immune system. And so that was one that I felt like, okay, if I do, if I do this, then uh, potentially it will turn my immune system back on. So again, I'm a case where who knows exactly what did what, but it worked. And so that's all that matters at this point. And, uh, and I didn't leave, I can say I left no stone unturned and I learned, uh, more than I ever thought I would or needed to know. And, uh, and now I'm well-educated and well-equipped to deal with whatever comes next within health for me and my family and friends. And, uh, and I, I am grateful that I have the knowledge that I have now. Brian, one of the things we like to do is, is talk about the, uh, the emotional journey, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I was admiring when listening to you and Matt talk about all of the different tactics that you use to uh, deal with your health issues is that before you began a therapy, you would believe the therapy would work and then you'd start the therapy. So talk to us about 
uh, the importance of believing something was going to be was going to work and why you believe that perhaps if you didn't believe something would work that it would not yeah yeah absolutely so one of the one of the angles i was exploring was uh dnrs uh, dynamic neural retraining uh system with um annie hopper's method with that um however it was i i just it was just too uh intensive for me and probably for a lot of people it's just it's just not realistic to 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 follow those steps every day of calming down your nervous system switching your train of thought from a negative thought pattern um you know there's certain there's certain things where you can't go and even research anything to do with your illness you basically have to to deplete any thought or or um experience of that negativity out of your mind um and then i actually uh i i was about to try out uh, ashok gupta's um program as well his his um gosh what's it called again the gupta program <laughs> And that's another neural retraining program. Uh, and I liked, I listened to a lot of uh, Gupta's, he was he, he had podcasts talking about Lyme and how people had healed just by purely uh, with meditation, with uh, mindfulness practices and with um, the power of your mind. And I think that that was a definitely a huge component that you have to work on as well. Um, I see a lot of people that, you know, they get in their echo chamber and they, I don't know. It's just, it seems like they're, they're identifying too much with the illness and it's almost like it becomes who they are, a part of who they are. And so when I learned about those things, I learned how powerful the mind is as well. Um, you know, I learned that that's, you know, calming the nervous system down, how important that is to heal because you can keep killing things as much as you want, but if your body's in a state of, uh, of flight, uh, and you're and you're in stress mode, then your immune system is not going to heal. It's not going to be brought back up, and you won't be able to, uh, you know, defeat those pathogens. And it's just, and so the mind was the mind is a powerful thing. I mean that even if you know you go in the mil if you go in the military, it's it, it boot camp. It's a mind game. It's all mental, right? And that's what they say. And so, so I had to, I took some of what I learned from those practices and incorporated them. I didn't follow the entire programs. Um, I'm sure they could be very valuable if, you know, some people do just, just that and that only, and they get better. And so, um, so I think that's a really important piece. And I try yeah, so, to, I try to live by that still. You know, Ryan, one of, one of the things that we, we talk with you about offline and, and we talk with all of our guests about is that, you know, there, there are a diversity of, of issues that could cause someone to get sick. And in some cases, uh, you know, we talked with Dr. Ross and he said in, in some cases he just treats someone for a mold illness and uh, their immune system ultimately is able to manage the rest. In some cases, we're just treating Lyme and your immune system that takes care of the rest. There are some folks who unfortunately have neural pathways uh, that make them more vulnerable to an illness. And once you identify those neural pathways, that would allow your immune system to take off. I mean, we don't speak enough of that, that piece of it, mm -hmm. but we do know that um, that Lyme is going to uh, you know invade your brain in many cases, right? Um, and part of the neurological process that we go through is that we develop many unhealthy pathways that that mm -hmm. cause us to remain sick, right? So um, one of the challenges with a program like DNRS is that it's so rigorous that it's probably a better tool to help you to reorganize your brain pathways after 
you have gone through many of the phases you've gone through. So we, we certainly have to have some tools available to us to help us with the, the uh, neurological uh, and emotional elements of this journey. Um, but, uh, but we want to make sure that we're not, we're not going to be too rigorous with that because we've had many people tell us I was so sick. I just couldn't do that. Right. So, uh, and we've also, we've often, often tried to explore some of these tools, uh, like psychotropic, um, drugs mm -hmm. that might be helpful, um, you know, with, with folks, but, you know, again, th there are so many, you know, there's so much work being done with those right now. And we don't know how they're going to, um, you know, how, how they're going to mix with antibiotics or other, other types of, uh, uh treatment protocols that people are using, but we well, certainly do have to focus on the brain and we have to fo focus on, uh, on neurology and, uh, and the nervous system and what, imp what impact that's having on our ability to believe we can heal and therefore, um, you know, have successful outcomes from the treatment protocols we're using. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because um, it is something I wanted to address. Uh, you know, we saw how 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 ill people were with COVID, and we've learned so much about chronic, you know, um, complex chronic illnesses and chronic infections and how they affect people, and seeing why some people get sick and some people don't, and why that is. And one one common theme that I kept hearing from a lot of these top Lyme doctors and just uh, top top health experts in the world is that a lot of it, you know, we we're meant to coexist with nature. And another analogy, I love the analogies, is that you might have dandelion a, a, a sea of dandelions in your backyard and these yellow flowers popping up every day. And you could say, you know, Look at all those nasty weeds I need to get rid of, and you cut them all down, right? So you you fire them out of there, and they're gone for a while. But maybe we should be looking at like, how can I coexist with these yellow flowers in my backyard? Because we all have microbes, and we all have you know millions and trillions of, of bacteria in us. Why are we getting sick then? And I think it comes down to lifestyle, and I think you know. People are just too uh, too stressed now, and learning these practices about how to, you know, holistically take care of yourself, how to how to reduce your stress levels, exercising, eating well. Um, I think that's that's the take home is that you know we can't always control when a tick is going to bite us. I mean, we can't be in fear of everything, and that's the that's the biggest part of it. Living in fear is what can get you sick in the first place, and you know, thinking and regretting things from the past and being fearful of things in the future. You do that too often, not living in the present moment, and you're going to probably get sick one way or another. And so that causes anxiety and depression. And I think that's the bigger thing. And yes, I know that the bacteria that's, you know, it's awful and all the, all of the, you know, you know, uh, COVID was awful, but I'm like, why did people, some people get so drastically ill and I think it really brought to light we aren't taking care of ourselves in in society in, yeah, but, in our you know, fast-paced world. You know, Ryan, one one of the reasons why we don't we we aren't taking care of ourselves is because we don't know how to take care of ourselves, right? We mm -hmm. we I think one of one of the beautiful elements or one of the beautiful takeaways that we often hear from folks who have gone on the journey um, is that they didn't know how their body worked and therefore didn't know how to take care of their body. 
they didn't know how their mind, their brain, and their, and their nervous system worked, and therefore they couldn't take care of, um, you know, and use these tools to help them stay healthy. They didn't realize they were they they were more there was more um, you know microbes in us or more non us than us in our body, right? There are literally mm-hmm. more cells that are not us than us in our body, and therefore you know we're not we're not we're not trained to focus on balance the way you were just describing it with that i think that really cool uh dandelion metaphor um and we just don't know how to uh use our our uh, our mind to uh rewire and reorganize our brain and our nervous system so that it will serve us rather than hurt us and we don't know how to manage our body so that we can we can stay healthy and you know what you've done so beautifully during the course of this podcast is, is, is showed us how uh, you know through through almost pure grit, you you were using new protocol after new protocol after new protocol. But more than just using the tactics, you were learning more about you. You were learning more about mm-hmm. your brain. You were learning more about your mind. You were learning more about your 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 nervous system. You were learning more about your body, and you were learning more about how to be in balance, both spiritually, emotionally, and physically with the world. And when you got to that point, you got better. Yeah. I listen to a lot of people who are sick as well and get better. And the the thing that I heard over and over is that I almost had to get sick to realize the path that I was on with, with the way I was living or what I was doing wasn't in relation to with what my, uh, what my purpose is and what I'm here to do. And so it's a redirect. And that's unfortunately people get sick, you know, you get cancer, you get, um, you know, you get whatever illness, it, it's a wake-up call. You're like, okay, I cannot eat like that anymore. Or I cannot keep drinking or whatever it may be. And that was my, you know, Lyme was unfortunately a very hard wake-up call for me to to take it easy more <laughs> and uh, enjoy life, right? Yeah, but Ryan, isn't that really the takeaway, right? Because what we also see, and, and I think the research has, has, has strongly supported this across all um, chronic illnesses, is that people who find purpose in their illness are the people who get better. And the people who don't find purpose in their illness um, struggle with getting better and struggle with overcoming their chronic illness, right? So, um, you know, knowing that this is going to help you to define your purpose, knowing that this is not a bad thing, and knowing that the outcome is going to make you a better and person who is going to understand your purpose and your mission um, in life is 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 a vital element to to uh, having a successful uh, journey with Lyme disease or any chronic illness. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to us about how you're now using this experience to now serve others, right? We, uh, one of the reasons why we wanted you on this podcast is because you have become a servant in the Lyme community. Uh, and, uh, and uh, we were, we were excited to uh, have you add to your list of, of service uh, coming on this podcast, sharing your experiences with other people who are going through. So talk to us about how, you know, you feel called to now, serve others on this journey yeah absolutely i i I firmly believe that if every you know i like to think that collectively we all make each other better or worse and so if everyone else around is healthy and happy and well it's going to resonate and and reflect off and and life is going to be better and uh and so you know there's a lot of people who are struggling with um you know, issues that they they don't know why, or um, they don't know, you know, how they, they've lost hope, or they have come across a tick bite themselves, and they heard about my journey, 
and then reached out and wanted more information. And so I've, I've definitely, um, you know, my being vocal on social media about some of it. Um, I've had people just at random reach out to me and go, Hey, I, I heard, I saw you would struggle with this. And, you know, I've been having this, this, this joint pain or whatever it is. Um, you know, what do I do? Because I was, you know, I look back to when I first got started and, oh my gosh, was it overwhelming. And so now knowing everything I know, I feel like a little sense of responsibility having all this knowledge and experience to help people uh, who are maybe going through it themselves and to also, you know, give people precautions on how to prevent it. Um, just the other day at the office uh, at my job, I, someone was telling me a story about their, they had an, an infection in their knee when they were in high school and it turned into a staph infection and he was bedridden and couldn't do anything for quite a while. And I kind of, you know, just happened to mention Lyme and, uh, we started, I started telling him about, you know, a little of my experience, not going too deep into it, but I, I said to him, Hey, if you ever have, cause he's like, Oh yeah, we used to, I used to pick off ticks and stuff and, and stuff like that on the farm. And I was like, well, hey, if you ever get a tick, do not throw it away. Put it in a little baggie, uh, freeze it, send it in for testing, regardless if you think it's going to be, if it's a deer tick or if it's a dog tick, you know, if it's a deer tick, especially send it in. Uh, but don't throw it away like most people do. And like I used to do, save that sucker. If you start having symptoms, go in right away, get on, beg for antibiotics and get tested send that tick and there's labs that will test that, that tick for all the pathogens and you can get peace of mind knowing that you can get ahead of it and, uh, and prevent it. And so he was really, really appreciative that I had, had told him that. And so I just, I just feel like <laughs> there's no, there's hardly any education and awareness on it. And so I, it's, it's too hard to go into all of what we, all the depth that us limeys know about. And so I keep it pretty high level. Um, but more people are starting to have issues. And I think, um, you know, if the, if the trend continues, I, I may be getting quite a few messages uh, in the future from people, unfortunately. Um, I know somebody right now that has a red meat allergy and I, I know there's a, a tick uh, that can cause alpha-gal syndrome, which is a uh, allergic reaction to red meat. And so I said, hey, you might want to get tested for that. You know, and so hopefully, you know, my pain has turned into a purpose and in, in helping people. And so um, whether that may be, Hey, Oh, you got diagnosed with certain thing, an, an autoimmune condition. Well, have you ever considered seeing a functional doctor? You know, maybe you should look into this. I've heard, you know, things like fibromyalgia, um, rheumatoid arthritis, you know, some of those could be contributed because of a uh, bacterial or a viral infection. And so, so yeah, I, I'm a huge advocate of awareness now and I try to be vocal about it. I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of or hide about it. And uh, I think people should talk about their health challenges more often and how they're dealing with them. And I think we would all learn a lot more and, and be uh, better together. Brian, I, I thank you for the way you answered the last question because the last question we asked on uh, Tick Bootcamp podcast, which you've anticipated was, what would you do if somebody you cared about had been bitten by a tick? Uh, but you were you were uh, kind enough to anticipate that question with sharing that really cool uh, anecdote. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna end the podcast here by thanking you for uh, for doing all the work that you're doing in the community. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, and and we're gonna ask one last thing of you, which is to take a look at look at our tick bite blueprint we have on our website. And if um, and if you think that's 
uh, a good resource. Please share that with other folks who uh, suffer from thick bites. And if you have any recommendations for us about how we might improve the thick bite blueprint, uh, we're, we're certainly always uh, looking to learn more and to find a better way of, uh, of sharing uh, our experiences with the community. So again, Ryan, thank you uh, for all of the good work that you're doing. And thank you for joining us here on Tick Bootcamp. Absolutely. And thank you for having me and uh, continuing to keep this podcast going. You guys have been running for a long time now, it seems like, and uh, you're not slowing down and uh, I'm, you're changing lives. So um, grateful to be here and very humble about uh, everything that's happened and uh, look forward to uh, hearing more people share their journeys and how they got better. And, and uh, you know, let's get this thing beat.